everybody. I'm Vicki. I'm Lynn. I'm Bree. And, and we, we are, are telling on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Wait we'll for never. it. Wait for it. <laughs> We're never going to have the same thing down. Um, well, today's a very special day. Uh, Lynn's about to introduce uh, a special guest, but before that, we always do our first thought wrong. So I'm going to talk about my first thought wrong, and I imagine there's going to be several people that can relate to this feeling. And at first, I thought it was only about the dog, but then as I was upstairs making my iced coffee for this podcast, I realized there's a million things that are wrapped up in this first thought wrong. And um, I punished myself. That is the moral of the story. So I have two kids and a dog. And I have a ex-husband and my kids go live with my ex-husband 50% of the time and they live with me 50% of the time. And it never fails. Every time before they leave, I say, you need to do the dishes before you leave or you need to pick up the dog poop before you leave and, you know, put your stuff away and it never fails. I, I go and, and we're rushing to take them to their dads and, and they don't. And another big one is the ice cube trays because we don't have an ice maker. So I have big issues with the ice cube trays. When they're here, I never have any ice. Maya puts, she's addicted to ice, I think. She puts her whole cup filled with ice and just chews on it. And, and so we go through ice so quick. And, and so I get very mad and I don't refill it because I'm like, they need to refill it when they're here, you know? And I'm, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I'm not doing the dishes and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, the other day, <clears throat> Paxson left out some pizza in a Tupperware container. We made a frozen pizza. They were very thin frozen pizzas. There were probably about four pieces in there, about yay big, um, and like pie, pie, pie pieces size. And uh, I noticed that it was on the table, but we had to go because Maya had to be there at a certain time, and, and there was some stress going on. And, and um, I just said, okay, I'll go. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't, it was just on the table blah, blah, blah. So I come back from dropping off the kids and I, I'm just doing whatever. And I walk in the room and I see the Tupperware container upside down and totally empty on the floor of the living room. And I have a seven pound dog. So he ate four pieces of pizza. I mean, four pieces of pizza in like, like that because I wasn't gone that long and I, I was watching him and I was freaking out. I was watching him thinking, oh my God, he's going to throw up. He had pancreatitis from eating human food before. So I'm uber paranoid. Oh my God, he ate all this pizza and everything's been fine. I mean, but I was so mad at my kids. I'm like, Pax, and I wanted to be like, Paxson, it's your fault. You left out that pizza. But you know what? Moral of the story is, first thought wrong is I don't get to see things like, I don't get to leave things around because I'm mad at them because all I'm doing is making my own life terrible. And yes, I shouldn't do for them what they can do for themselves, but I should have really grabbed that pizza and put it back in the fridge. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, Frodo's okay now, though. He's fine. Okay, good. Because really, that's all that matters is that my BF Frodo is okay. <laughs> yep. And that isn't best friend. That's her boyfriend. Yeah, well, boyfriend. <laughs> it, it's that revenge mentality almost like venge like trying to always get vengeance or like tit for tat. Oh god, exhausting. And then you like exhausting throw, teenage, throw teenagers in the mix and forget about it. <laughs> well, 
Yeah. Like they're going to learn a lesson. Like they're really going to be bothered that there's no like water in the ice cube trays. They're just going to leave it again. Yeah. They give zero foxes about that one. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's just a battle of wills. Like I am really trying to teach them how to be semi-responsible, but it's almost like a, a, a fight of like, I don't know, trying to uh, catch water, you know, because it's just not a possibility. So I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that Peggy might have some guidance for me after this. <laughs> uh, mothers, mothers of teenagers know why animals eat their young. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. <laughs> that's a uh, mic drop. Like. <laughs> So I think that's a perfect introduction. We have a very special guest today, Peggy Cooney. Um, So let me give you a little bit of background how I found her. So I was doing that, you know, interminable scroll on Facebook that we all do these days. And I do have some groups that I follow. And really, that's the only reason I think I get on Facebook anymore is to check out the groups that I like. And this group popped up and there was a share. It was about a lady that was writing a book. And I think at the time she was 500 days AF. So first of all, funny, funny aside with the AF. In my world, when I see AF, I think as fuck. And then I read them like, that just doesn't make sense. Then I figured out it was alcohol free. So (laughs) I've learned the acronym. (laughs) So I started reading a couple of the posts. I'm like, what is this? So I, um, asked to, to join the group and you had to answer a question. And when I started reading, I found Peggy is the, the person that started this face, the Facebook group that's called this side of alcohol. And it's one of those fantastic, very positive um, communities of people that are there sharing their experience, strength and hope. And they come from all modalities and all um, disciplines, but they're there for one primary purpose is to live a life that's alcohol free, that's more joyful, that um, they can live in in the joys of life instead of being sucked down by what, um, what can sometimes bury us. So um, I contacted Peggy through Messenger, good old Messenger, and said, hey, you don't know me, but I do this podcast with a couple of ladies, and we would love to have you as a guest. And she responded, and I, t- I texted Vicki, and I said, she said yes, she said yes. <laughs> I was so excited. So, Peggy, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Um, it's such a pleasure. So we're going to, what we're going to do is um, she asked me to read a couple of letters that's part, it's in her book, and I'm going to let her talk about her book and all the stuff, but um, this kind of gives an insight into what her life upbringing and life was like um, before she chose to live an alcohol-free lifestyle, and then we'll let her share her story. So the letters are to Bill and Margaret, her parents, <clears throat> and it starts between the ages of 19 and 20. I lost my first child and both of my parents. And although I grew up in a house where alcohol abuse, intimate partner violence, and subsequent divorce, there was a lot of love in our family too. Somehow my parents made sure of it. When my parents died, I lost my cheerleading section. My parents were gone when I remarried, bought my first house, had three more children, put on a dance studio's first recital, graduated from college and earned my master's degree. My sounding board was missing. When so many of my friends were being parented well into their 30s, I felt lost and incomplete. Am I doing this adult thing right? Would they be proud of my accomplishments? So much of my recovery from drinking has been to forgive my parents, Bill and Margaret, who truly did the best they knew how. This letter is to dad. You walked off that gold course, the 
the golf course and a widow maker took you from me at age 47. I was 19. You died from the perfect storm, high blood pressure, smoking and alcohol. The world as I knew it ceased to exist because you had always been at the center of it. I was still reeling from losing your nine month old granddaughter to an accident that would fracture our family for years. You were my only solace, my only comfort. You would have understood how painful it was to hear, you're lucky, you're still young, you can have more children. Little did I know that in a few months I would lose mom too. I'm not sure why I haven't carried the anger and resentment towards you all of these years like I have with mom. I think it might've been your complete love for life. You loved everyone and everyone loved you back. I remember you water skiing by taking off from the beach, donning your favorite hat, holding your cigarette, so cool at the time, water ski around the lake, get dropped off on the shore, kick off your skis and stamp out your cigarette like it was nothing. You were absolutely the coolest person I knew. And remember when you went to the store to buy antifreeze for the car and came home with a new one instead, I was elated. I loved it when you let me be your golf caddy until the, one day I flipped the golf cart upside down. I love being just the one onion, two olive garnish maker for your martinis. I hated you and mom for getting divorced in the middle of my junior year of high school, turning my world upside down. At 17, I got back at both of you by making you grandparents. I inherited your sense of humor, your love of life, your impulsiveness, your compassion, and your love of alcohol. I almost followed in your footsteps, dad but that will not be my legacy now. I am sober. The only letter my children will write is that their mother overcame the one thing that was holding her back from being her true self. I miss you, dad, every day. I do not get to see you often because your grandson, Brett, is your clone. I do get to see you often, though, because your grandson, Brett, is your clone. You have five amazing grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. At eight years old, Tegan is learning to play golf, and I told her all about you. This letter is to mom. The official cause of your death was rheumatoid arthritis and pneumonia, but we both know that alcohol was just as responsible for you leaving this earth at age 51. I was close to being 20. I visited you in the hospital every night for six months and you died in the middle of the night alone. Did you plan it that way? You had been such in such incredible pain for so long, I actually felt a sense of relief when you decided to go home. All these years, 49 of them without you now, I've carried such anger towards you for all the things you missed. My college graduations, my careers, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, my successes, and most importantly, my fuck-ups. I inherited your creativity, your love of reading, your love of Christmas, and your struggle with alcohol. Oh, and I suck at cooking just like you did. (laughs) On my walk this morning, I was thinking about how much you would have loved reading This Naked Mind, We Are the Luckiest, and Drinking a Love Story you would have appreciated the online support meetings. I was thinking how these books and the amazing recovery communities I participate in might've changed the trajectory of your life as they have mine. Mom, I know you would have loved the science behind it all. For me, it has not only given me sobriety, but the grace to forgive you because now I know it wasn't your fault. This past Christmas, I put out some of your decorations and actually looked at them with new appreciation for and the connection to you. I am finally at peace and I hope you are too. I love you. Someday I will tell you all about it. Wow, Peggy. Um, I've read through it a couple of times and um, I lost my father three years ago and it's still, oh sure. It's um, beautiful, difficult, painful, and just what a poignant way to express um, where you came from. Yeah, thanks. It's still, when I hear it, it's still a little... (laughs) 
little jokey for me. But um, yeah, thank you. So my my drinking story is this. Drinking didn't become a problem for me until I was in my 50s, if you can believe that. Um, up until then, I drank socially. I didn't really, it was on occasion and I never really thought about drinking. It wasn't, it wasn't part of my, my psyche, but looking back when I think about it, I think about it in terms of, I never had just one, right? I was always on the verge of being sort of that, uh, binge drinker, but it was, but the occasions were far, far and few between. So um, I'm a type seven on the Enneagram, if anybody uh, knows about Enneagrams. Sevens are known to have many, many, many careers and many ideas and just uh, were, were over the top random. Two of my careers are notable. Um, in the 90s, I owned and directed a dance, art and aerobics and theater company called Heart and Soul. Um, we put on recitals and art shows and uh, haunted house, we put on the Nutcracker for local schools, and um, we contracted with a local community college to put on plays and um, and musicals. As anybody knows, when you have your own business, um, it's a ninety-hour uh, a week endeavor. And my kids were teenagers then; um, they were done having their mother at a studio ninety hours a week. I had done so; I sold the studio. Um, uh, it was a really big deal for me because it was in a small rural town in Cal Northern California and 20% of our, of our kids were boys. So it was, it was some, cause we put them in jeans and t ripped t-shirts and, you know, uh, we had kids that learned how to do the sets and how to do the lighting. It was just a really big deal. Um, except that I didn't make a shitload of money, you know, because I was, you know, oh, you can't afford lessons, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll pay for those. Right. So, um, but I, I don't regret any of it and, and, uh, neither, neither does the community, the community loved it. I did some work for department of health and human services in the county. So, um, during all this, we did some, you know, sponsoring of tobacco education and all of that. So, um, uh, I had the director asked me if I wanted to be a social worker and I had no freaking idea what a social worker did. Um, I just thought you, you know, got a referral and you went and picked up a kid. That's as much as I knew about, about social work. It ended up being such a good fit for me. Um, I actually loved it. It was just right in line what I'd done with the dance studio and um, really uh, kind of fit in line with uh the same thing. I love the kids and the parents drove me crazy, right? <laughs> same thing in the dance studio. But about 10 years in, I'd witnessed so much uh, trauma and child abuse and neglect that it was really starting to get to me. And um, at least in California, we don't do a very good job with that secondary trauma. And on top of that, um, working in a system that absolutely sucks is you know, there's so much broken about child welfare that the reason I, I I loved it was also the reason that it frustrated me because it we weren't doing a very good job. Um, there's so many first responders in um, in the recovery community. It's ridiculous. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it is like 
it's, it's like overwhelming because, you know, we take care of others while neglecting ourselves. This is kind of the time that I found myself starting to drink. Um, I was coming home and de decompressing with a couple glasses of wine during the week and not really thinking anything about it. And on top of that, um, I was part of a blended family. I tried to be the best, like I do everything. I tried to be the best step parent on the planet. There's no such thing. And I almost lost myself in the process. So then two years before I retired from that job, I found myself in the position of being a whistleblower. Um, it was a sexual harassment suit and the incident became the lead story on our local news. Um, we had uh, families saying, why should we trust you with our, with our kids? Look what you did. Um, and of course I didn't do it, but my life became hell for 24 months. Uh, leadership decided to make me the scapegoat because I told, but how could I have not told? I had a man come to me and say he wanted to off himself. And of course I would have done it. If, if I had to do it over, I would have done the same thing. So I put an app on my phone. I ended up with my boss's job, his job, and my job. And my daughter got married that year. And it was, it was very, very, very stressful. And I felt like I was a piranha at work. So every day I went to work, my stomach hurt. Um, my heart hurt. And um, so I put an app on my phone to count down the days so I could leave there. I had two more years to, gra uh, to graduate, to retire, to get a full retirement. And I just didn't want them to win, right? I could have left, but I didn't want, I just didn't want to, I didn't want them to win. I felt like I was championing my coworker by staying there. Um, but I couldn't wait to get home and drink. I couldn't wait to not feel any of it when I got home. So I got to retire 14 days after I retired, UC Davis called me up, asked me if I wanted to teach. And um, I was like, why are you picking me? Like, you don't even know who I am. I mean, I trained with them for 20 years. All of our training was through them. And I thought, well, they knew about what went on in my work. Why are they asking me to teach for them? But it was and remains my dream job. In 2018, I was selected out of 1,750 instructors for teacher of the year. And um, you'd think that would have made me drink less, um, that I had it all. And no, I drank more. I The cognitive dissonance around being teacher of the year and drinking while I was teaching social workers, how to work with families with addiction was awful. It was just awful. I felt like such a fraud, right? So by this time, and that's just what, 2018, so a couple years ago, I was teaching by day and breaking my family's heart by night. Um, my family, most of my, my, uh, my friends, most of my family and all my colleagues had no idea I had a drinking problem. Not one person. I never drank around. You know, if I went out and I was presenting at a conference, you know, I wouldn't drink in front of anybody. I just go uh, buy a bottle of wine and drink it in my hotel room. So it was completely undercover. Um, I didn't tell my best friend that I had a drinking problem for four months. For four months after I stopped drinking, my husband threatened me. He left me. Um, he shamed me and nothing worked. All that really did for me was to push my drinking in the closet. Literally, um, my wine, um, held up my boots. <laughs> That's where I put it. Or I was drinking in my car and shoving the bottle underneath the 
the front of the seat. And because I was guzzling the wine so fast, I began to experience a lot of gray outs and blackouts. This again, my age, um, the older you get, the less you, the slower you metabolize alcohol. And then also I was drinking fast. So it was hitting me like a brick, right? Um, so there were several incidents. I drank too much at my daughter's best friend's wedding and I created a scene. I passed out at her mother-in-law's house on Mother's Day. I drank so much at another granddaughter's birthday party that I was supposed to babysit that night for my daughter um, who has two sets of twins and they had to cancel their plans because I was too drunk to babysit. So that brings me to my, my last day one, my rock bottom that nearly cost me everything I had. Um, I still wake up sometimes um, thinking about that day. Um, my husband and I just returned um, from a cabin we rented in Lake Tahoe for an annual family picnic. I purposely didn't drink at the reunion because I didn't want to do anything to embarrass my family. And by this time, I, my stepdaughters were, were almost trying to find anything they could find. At least that's how I felt. I'm not sure that's the truth, but I felt like I didn't want to give them any ammunition. So when I got back to the cabin before my daughter got back, my daughter and my son got back, I, you know, I had a couple shots, but it was, um, it hit me right away because I'd been out in the sun for eight hours. So it wasn't my normal getting drunk day, but it didn't matter because I had this history, right? So my husband automatically jumped on it as I was drunk. So a couple hours later, my son, Brett, and my daughter, Lindsay, and my son-in-law, Jason, and they all have permission. They know when I use their names because I'm out, totally out in the world. Um, and they're two sets of twins came home from the lake, finding my husband screaming at me and calling me names. My son, Brett, thinking he needed to defend me, uh, had to, uh, went after my husband, his stepfather, and um, my son-in-law had to pull Brett off my husband. My daughter and my terrified grandchildren were watching the whole thing. They sat just terrified watching everything. And my husband left with no intention of returning after 34 years of marriage. Um, he was gone for most of the following month. And I, 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 even at that time, I, I didn't know if I wanted him to come back. You know, it's just, I'm still not sure sometimes. <laughs> so the next morning, my quiet, reserved, more mature than me daughter sat down across from me and said, mom, um, if you don't do something about your drinking, you'll not, you're not going to be able to have the kind of relationship you want with me and the kids. And um, that was it for me. Um, I was willing to lose a marriage, but I wasn't willing to lose my daughter, especially after losing my first one. So um, I'm actually grateful to have a tangible incident that ignited my resolve to stop drinking for good. And although I'll always credit Lindsay's words, um, as the one I need, ones I needed to hear, um, words that literally saved my life. I also think about my son who stayed with me. He watched over me um, to get me through those first couple days. He was really worried. Um, he stayed with me while the others went to the beach. That next day, he took me to lunch where I could barely 
keep my head lay, keep from laying my head on a table at the restaurant. We're just looking and smelling his chili cheese fries. Um, came close to making me hurl. I can't even look at chili cheese fries ever, never. That day I walked into my bedroom and I saw Jen Couch's Sober Sis 21 Day Reset program and I immediately signed up. I just felt like it was this sign, right? Um, I always tell her that um, she was really just starting off at that time. I felt like I had to do something immediately that would get my family to believe I was serious about stopping drinking because I had so many day ones before. That evening, I asked my son to take me to an AA meeting, and when I looked back in the car, he was crying. I know he was scared. I will never forget um, a man from AA who witnessed this. He walked over to my son, and he praised him for bringing me to the meeting, and he asked if he could do anything for Brett. He actually sat with Brett for a few minutes, and they talked. There are just so many kind people in the world. 17 months later, Brett still calls me every day, not to check on me, but to check in with me. We have meaningful conversations about life, and I remember every single one of them. Even though Brett never really thought I had a serious drinking problem, he is clearly no longer worried about me. I am present. I'm his mother, as it should be. My daughter has a predictable mother that she and her children can depend on every single day. She's a daughter that doesn't show her emotions very easily, but she she um, texts, she does the thumbs up text, the, the heart emojis, and the I'm proud of you's to acknowledge my sober milestones. I can really feel the connection with Lindsay, even though she's uh, she has a harder time talking about it. Um, she calls me now for no apparent reason, and uh, I'm not so sure that she doesn't see my drinking as a weakness still because um, she's never had anything happen to her. She's, you know, she's one of these, she just, success just happens to her. And, um, and that's okay if she sees it as a weakness because it, it, it's my thing and my responsibility. It's not hers. Last month when she picked up the kids after a sleepover, she said that she and Jason are taking Paul and I to Hawaii for Thanksgiving next year. And um, I started crying, which I always do when I talk about this, or tears. And I and she goes, Mom, why are you crying? She's like, and I said, because I'm just so happy. I mean, she could, she could take me anywhere and I would have been happy. But the gesture was, um, was really crazy. And I feel like I have my daughter back. I think it's important too, even though I think my husband was, <clears throat> excuse me, my husband was um, responsible for a lot of this. Um, just recently, I asked him to describe some of his feelings around my drinking um, because I run a podcast, not a podcast. I, I don't know why I said podcast. You can edit that out, but um, I do a bi-monthly Zoom call with local NorCal girls and guys. And, um, I think because I'm a, oh, I said, uh, I asked Paul to describe some of his feelings around my drinking. And he, he said, are you trying to social work me? 
And I said, no, I just, I really want to know what it, what it was like for you. You know, what, what, what were some of your feelings? And I'm going to, I want to read this because I can't remember it all, but he said, I was scared, anxious. He missed the real me, humiliated, hurt, disgusted, helpless. If you really love me, you would quit weak, hateful, alone, and done. He said he, 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 he felt like he was in this endless cycle of threatening, crying, leaving, and coming back. He talked about how reading the alcohol explained in this naked mind turned his anger into compassion and understanding. It was then when he became my biggest supporter. And I do that a lot. I, I really recommend that the, not, that the normal drinker read some of these because it really can be life-changing. My sobriety has brought peace into my marriage where before there was so much havoc and chaos. The emotional pain from the alcohol-fueled fights we had rivaled any physical pain I've experienced in my life for both of us. It's heartbreaking. Names were called. There was a lot of shoving, breaking things. There was a lot of leaving, threats of divorce, just an overall shit show. There were times I absolutely had no recollection of the damage I caused the night before. So many walks of shame to that fucking coffee pot. Sometimes, like on July 11th, our adult children and grandchildren become involved with more hearts breaking. There's still a lot of work to be done in our marriage on both sides, but I'm doing it sober. And I have a team, I I really, I team with an amazing psychologist when I couldn't bullshit. I completed two Sober Sis programs, Annie Grace's 100 Day Challenge, Stacey Danford's Grateful Brain and Gratitude Booth, Laura McCallan's Waddle, We Are the Luckiest Course, and we'll complete a nine-week Enneagram coaching series with the Art of Growth next week. I read dozens of books, listened to hours of podcasts. I drank 150%. I'm getting getting and staying sober the same way. Was all this worth it? Absolutely. My life is infinitely better. And when it isn't, I can deal with that too. Some of my non-negotiables are writing, journaling, walking, and surrendering. I co-host a bi-monthly Zoom meeting in Northern California. I discovered I'm a writer. I'm almost finished with my first draft of a book I never knew I would write, This Side of Alcohol. I started my own Facebook page with the same name. With my daughter and my university director's blessing, I went totally public about a month ago on Instagram. I have a dream to connect communities like TLC to child welfare parents, whose only choice right now seems to be AA. And I'm also developing a tool called sobriety mapping. Many people who have followed my story have approached me and said, I want what you have. I want to be alcohol free. What do you recommend? And um, here are a few of my thoughts before I close. Accept that change is uncomfortable. Welcome it. Don't push it away. Work through it. Learn, learning something new requires that we get uncomfortable. Getting sober can be boring at first, and then it isn't. Tell on yourself, the more people that know about what you are doing, the better chances you have at getting and staying sober. Secrets fuel addiction. 
Shame and guilt can literally drive you to drink. Discover the underlying reasons that you drink. This can happen through your own customized combination of working a recovery program, therapy, and connection. There are no cliff notes, no magic bullets for sobriety. Remember that sobriety isn't the goal. Peace, success, self-love, family, stability, spirituality, and happiness. These are the goals. Sobriety is just the vehicle by which we achieve these things or any others you have set for yourself. I often walk with my friend Susan at Sac State when we first started working there. She said, we're going to climb a long set of stairs to warm up. I said, you're fucking crazy. With practice, I made it to the top. It became easier with each climb, like getting sober, and the view is stunning for both. Thanks. Wow. Thank you, Peggy. Um, you had me crying and laughing, sometimes simultaneously. <laughs> it's my job. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Vicki? Yeah, what I a know. beautiful journey you just took us through. And I, I love what you said about sobriety isn't the goal, right? The peace and, and there's so many things in your story that I can't even, um, I can't even tell you how beautiful you are to, and brave, beautiful and brave. That's, that's what I got out of uh, what you're doing for yourself, for your family. And it's like you, um, you've really thought about it. You really thought about it, and 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 it's such a beautiful thing. And when when I hear you say this this thing about no magic bullets, there's no cliff notes. It's so true. It's not easy, but look at the life that you have. I mean, I can feel it oozing out of you the the gratitude that you have for this. And there's no one way. There's no magic. It's just feeling worthy enough. I feel like you, you, it's like knowing your worth or something, but thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate, um, the work you're doing. I appreciate your story and your heart and your honesty and your love. You know, I mean, it's, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about is sharing that, that love and, and, and the bravery that you have to ask your children and your husband how they felt and share that because I think that those words that your husband wrote are such a good important thing for it's okay to feel those feelings the disease of alcoholism gets everybody gets mm -hmm. everybody so thank you so much Peggy I really well, appreciate thank you it. for the opportunity I really you have no idea how much I, it means to me really um I just feel like all of a sudden I'm put on this earth to do this like I'm meant to be here right now. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's some crazy stuff. Um, I think what I especially, well, one of the, one of the things I especially appreciate about your story, because mine is kind of similar to my drinking didn't get out of hand until I was older. Um, and now of course, reflecting, I see that I had unhealthy patterns, but um, it's, it's a good example of there's not one size fits all. You know, uh, we can become alcoholics at any stage in our lives, but the result, the end of that is always going to be the same. You know, you're either going to stop or you're going to die. You're going to lose everything 
and you're going to die or you're going to stop and you're going to find another way to live. And what a great example you have of, you know, showing up and being honest and being brave and saying, this is bigger than me and I've got to fix, I've got to do something to make my life better. Um, I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. I, you know, I, about day 94, I think, um, I rewarded myself for, uh, Jen Couch's sober sis program had a, had a, um, uh, retreat in October. So that was about, about a hundred days. So that was what I gave myself. That was like this, you know, carrot to, to stay sober. And I really met a lot of nice people there, but that, that day I started posting every day thinking I'm just going to post, you know, a hundred days. Well, then that turned into a whole year. And then I started posting on um, the luckiest, uh, we are the luckiest and then soberish and then soberish asked me to write a article and um, a magazine from back East asked me to write an article. And it just has, I mean, I, I just, I just can't, I can't believe that this is happening to me. I just, and half the time, I don't even know. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even writing. Like I'll have a voice inside that says, don't write this today, write this. You need to be writing this today. And um, I've never really been a spiritual person, but I've also never been this open to the world. Like it's, it's just a, it's just an amazing gift. So again, I, I just, Every time I get to do this, I feel like I just got a Christmas present. So I really mean that. So it's very important to me. Awesome. That's work. great. You're muted. You just are oozing gratitude. And that's what I, what I see and feel from you. You know, gratitude for your kids, your son, um, sitting with you and staying with you. Grateful that you've been called to do this. Uh, that you're just kind of following this path that you're on now and it's become bigger. It's almost like it's bigger than you, right? You're doing something and it is bigger than you are an instrument of this universe and like whatever that means. And just some common threads that really resonate with me was when you talk about every day, you know, you were, you're like writing, journaling, walking, and then you said surrender. You know, and that's something that's not tangible, like the writing and the journey and the the walking, but it's like you, every day you turn that out. Like, what is that surrender? Like, what do you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like, sure. My best friend, Susan, the one that made me walk up the stairs, um, she had a, she's got her own story. She had a heart attack at, at 57, running up the stairs and took herself to the hospital. So um, she and I are the co-hosts of that, of that um, Zoom call. But about two years ago, she gave me this uh, Catholic surrender novena prayer, and there's nine prayers. And again, I, you know, I kind of stuck it in my drawer. It's just Susan being Catholic. And when I started getting sober, I started reading them every day. So there's nine. So I read one every single day. And it is about just surrendering your life. And I do it first thing in the morning. Um, I've, I've handed out several of them, like hundreds. So is Susan, because it's really not about being Catholic. It really is turning it over. And I, now we just talked about this the other day. So thanks. Um, like I, I get so emotional sometimes I almost have to put off saying it because it's, it, I am so full of emotion when I say the prayer now, like not every day, but some days it's just like, 
I can feel everything, right? And this is sort of random for you, Brie. I'm so excited that somebody younger is doing this as well because I look at you and I, I think, oh, there's my daughter and, and Chelsea, you know, there, there's my, there, those are my daughters. And because I, I do see a lot of parent bashing in the shares that I hear and really um, that's my legacy that I could leave this world tomorrow. And my, my daughter's going to say, you know, my mom did it. Right. So I love that you're here and I'd love to hear your story sometime because it's, you know, I think that's the gift of this too, is that it, it, it connects women from all ages that there's rarely anything in the world right now that does that. And it just throws ageism and everything out the door. So and that's another byproduct. Well, and we'll, I'll definitely have to share with you sometime, but a lot of it goes, you mentioned secondary trauma, right? Like we have the first trauma, which we, it was like parent bash. It, like it goes back to that sometimes for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, but then you had mentioned like the secondary trauma being like the position you were in with social work and like having to, it goes back to kind of control and surrender. Like you had all of these things that were out of your control, like your heart and your, like your spirit want to do these amazing things and help these children. And you're have all these bureaucratic roadblocks and whatnot, and you can't accomplish what you feel like you need to accomplish. And it's, you don't have control over it. And that's like the trauma, the secondary trauma, which I think really, you know, you already had like a genetic component from your parents and all the hurt and pain from that. And then, I just think that's so important to acknowledge is that that secondary trauma or that first trauma can really pop up at any time in your life, whether it's really early on and you, it yeah. is glaringly blatant to you early on in your life that you have this trauma and you're, it's manifesting into alcoholism or if it's later on and it's just finally, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Peggy, I really, I really appreciated um, your honesty. Uh, it's difficult working in social services. Um, earlier in my career, I was working in social services and being a caretaker for other people, whether it's you know being a teacher or being a, a counselor, and just hearing you talk about the cognitive dissonance that that came along with uh, being the caretaker, but then you know, feeling, feeling, you know, disingenuous going home and, and, and not taking care of yourself. It's that old adage, the cobbler's children have no shoes. You know, right. you know you're taking care of everyone but yourself. So um, I really, I related to so much of what you talked about, but um, just really, thank you. Thank you for sharing a very moving story. Um, would thank love to, to get to know you more and, and hear more about what you're doing. But I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, you know, uh, teaching hungover is uh, is real fun. <laughs> yeah, that's a, definitely that imposter syndrome, which you mentioned a couple of times, the imposter syndrome. I think that always creeps into our lives. And I can't imagine you as a professor um, talking about things that people need to do and what it, what you must have felt with the hypocrisy. Oh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was really good. <laughs> What I absolutely loved to hear you say, and it was right at the end here, was this, you almost can't talk because you're so overwhelmed by these feelings of goodness and, and gratitude and all this stuff. And 
I numbed myself out so much when I was drinking, when I was in my disease, I just numbed myself out. And I just didn't know that when I was sober, I could feel this. I didn't know life could be good. I thought I was just broken. I didn't attribute it to drinking. I thought I was broken. I was supposed to be sad. I was supposed to be uncomfortable in my own skin. But the beauty is that's not the case if we let go of of the addiction part of it. And it's so cool to be able to feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you know, and, and obviously alcohol numbs the, the good and the bad, right? Mm-hmm. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, like you've been sober a little bit now, do you ever think about drinking? Yeah. I mean, what happened the other night? That's a really good question. I want to know kind of like, do you ever think about it? And then like, what do you do to like, well, yeah. Okay. So I never think about having a drink. That's, that's the issue. I never, I think about having a bottle, right? (laughs) If somebody told me, if somebody told me seriously, you can have one glass of wine. I'd say, fuck you. I don't want wine. Crazy. Like that would be be worse than drinking for me. Right. Oh, I know what happened this week is I did a pilot for the state and I got some negative comments and they 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 broke my heart I mean I since then I've been able to like talk to somebody about it but that I really wanted to drink but again I think I don't want to drink a glass of wine I want to down a bottle in about 10 minutes and so I'm like that's what does it like it makes me realize you are so not a normal drinker. <laughs> no, like, I don't, I don't think in terms of one glass. I never did. Mm-hmm. I, I never, even when I was not drinking hardly, I never thought about it in terms of having one glass of wine. So I'm like, screw that. I don't, I don't want one. I want yeah. the whole bottle. And I I'm not going to that. <laughs> well, that's what we say. One drink is too much and 10,000 isn't enough. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, no wine tastes as good as sober feels. That's from Claire Pooley, I think. Mm-hmm. There was one that was so good. Um, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. But like, I want our listeners to know that, like, so yeah, you go through life like not obsessing about alcohol anymore. But every once in a while, it crops up, and you do what you just told us. You journal. You you obviously yeah. talk to somebody about it. You were bothered about these comments. You reach out. You've built a support group for yourself. You've found a prayer of surrender that really works to you and speaks to you, and you're paying it forward. You are well, and also too, Bree. I mean, also too. I am writing a book. I do journal every day. I post every day. I've put, you know, I'm starting um, my next Facebook series is going to be on the first hundred days because I haven't written about it. So, but I have a shitload of journaling about it. Right. So, um, so now I've built in this thing for me. Like I can't go back now. <laughs> if you want to be honest, I can't, like, it would really suck because now I'm like noted for my, for my not drinking. If I drank again, I would blow everything. So it's really kind of a nice insurance policy too. I, sure. love, Honest. I love it. Sure is. And I, you did mention that was one of the things, you know, keep secrets, tell on yourself, tell on yourself and don't keep the secrets. And you yeah. learn that by reflecting on, I mean, you did say that nobody knew, not even your best friend knew, even after four months, after you got, you were sober for four months. She knew something was different, right. but she didn't know she, she, yeah. 
she was starting to pull away from me because she was losing trust in me. Yeah. But she didn't know what I was hiding. Right. Well, you took all of those experiences to build a foundation on how you live differently now. Like you do the opposite now of what you were doing then. And that's what kept you sober. And yeah. that's awesome. And I just see so many parallels, you know, which, like of like foundational recovery principles to, you know, stay sober and, and surrender is one of them. I'm like, wow, that's bingo. Like that is like number one is to be able to t- every day wake up and surrender. You it know? really is. I really am. Sorry, I just thank no, you for I love that. Thank you. Well, I really love it. Thanks. Yeah, because people are probably like, but how every day does she like not think about drinking? Or when she does think about drinking, what is her like, what is her tools? What does she whip out of her toolbox? So that's cool to know. I was mad the other day because I went into the grocery store and um, my favorite wine was on sale. I'm like, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I still suffer from that sometimes too. And, you know, just recently, probably in the last year, because I'm a chef, so I have to buy stuff like that all the time. And um, I finally, I'm, in, I'm from Kentucky. So bourbon, I was born with like bourbon in my veins and right. I had to buy bourbon for work. And I was pissed off at how expensive it is now. Like, seriously, you're charging $18.99 for Jim Beam, which is basically <laughs> swill. <laughs> but on your resentment list, no. <laughs> expensive bourbon that I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> I know. And I had to check out all the selections and have my little judgy opinion about all of it. It's like, well, in Illinois, what do I, what do I expect to get from my bourbon selection? <laughs> well, no, thank you. Yeah, we can go into questions now. Yes, Vicki, go ahead. All right. First question is, what day was your first day sober? Uh, day of the week. July 12th, 2019. Was it a Monday or a Tuesday? No, it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday. Awesome. Okay. And then what is the number, oh, what is the number one thing that you've gotten from these days sober? Like the best gift. Awesome. Beautiful. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. (laughs) And what's your favorite food? (laughs) What's your favorite food? I was honestly worried. You have to understand this. I crossed out every, every curse word that I had in here. Cause I cut, I, if you could see it, they're all crossed out. They're crossed out because I'm like, you don't know these ladies, so you can't say the F word. We should have fucking told you how cool we are before we started this. We're fucking explicit for fuck's sake. So yeah, that would be it. <laughs> and what's your favorite food? Oh, geez. I would say um, the marinated Santa Maria fajitas from Nugget Market. Nice. Awesome. And um, anybody want to do, we do golden nuggets at the end, Peggy, which are kind of just like our little flashes of wisdom that, um, that stuck out to us. Does anybody want to start with the golden nugget? I will. Please. I got so many. Um, <laughs> and it was just so inspired, honestly, inspiring to hear um, your story. And I guess my golden nugget truly was that there are so many different paths into addiction and there's so many different paths to recovery and I just like trying to draw the parallels. I'm like, oh, we do this in AA and oh, she does this in here. And there's no right or wrong way. It's whatever works for you. And it's just so beautiful that you like found your own way. And now you're helping other people find their ways. Um, and so like that was like my golden nugget was surrender, passing it on to other people, 
like fearlessly taking a look at yourself and being honest with yourself and others um, as, as like, those are things that we practice in our program too. So I just think that's awesome that those are the foundation, some of the foundations of your recovery. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree. Um, one of the things that I liked, and I, I believe you said this is in your book too, but you can correct me. Um, the tools that you're using to stay alcohol-free are changing, learning, telling on yourself, seeking help. So important. All of those are so important. It's like remembering that it's going to be uncomfortable at first because it's something new. What I refer to those, Peggy, are our wagon wheel ruts. And when we're making new wagon wheel ruts, sometimes we want to slip back into the old ones because it's more comfortable. But you've got to keep trying until you actually establish those new ruts. And um, it's, yeah, very profound. Yeah, my book is in four parts. It's called Asleep, Aware, Awake, and Share. Wow. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, My golden nuggets are sobriety isn't the goal, but peace, being peace at peace is. And then the story about climbing those stairs and how it got easier and easier, how that action, taking that action just made things, made it a little less daunting. So what a beautiful story, Peggy. And I'm, I'm rooting for you and I, I'm going to be following you and I can't wait to see your book and hear your, you know, see how it goes. Reach out to us anytime. We, you know, we are, um, we are some crazy girls in recovery and um, living a life of peace finally. Right. Well, and and also could you, um, of course, you might want to edit this out, but would you, would you, any of you be willing to share on our Zoom calls sometime? Of course, absolutely. Um, so Peggy, would you once again share with us where people can find you on your Facebook group, Instagram, the book, all the info? Sure. Um, it's, um, it. My Instagram is just Peggy Cooney. It's P-E-G-G-I-C-O-O-N-E-Y. And then um, my uh, Facebook page is um, This Side of Alcohol. And then um, I have a person that's working on our web page. So um, I should have my book like ready to start marketing in January, I think. Oh. Well, that's when a lot of people like to start getting sober. So it's very good timing. (laughs) (laughs) It won't get published then, but I mean, hopefully someone will pick it up then. Right. Well, and, and if we are truly maybe in the next few months coming out of pandemic, people may be reevaluating their drinking habits for the last nine, 10 months. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's actually saved a lot of people too. There's a silver lining to that as well. Mm-hmm. We have so many people that have come to Zoom meetings that have never been to a meeting in person. And that just blows my mind. I mean, complete, you know, it's, everything has changed so much. But this is the, this is the, this is the silver lining of, of COVID. Yes. Being able to really be, be literal. My friend, my husband's like, how do you know this person? How do you know this person? (laughs) I don't know. I just liked her. And, you know, it's like, you know, you, you find somebody you like and you just ask them to do stuff with you. Right. It's beautiful. And you're right. This never would have happened. I mean, last year we went to Vero beach, Florida for Christmas and new year's. Um, because one of the people in my, my Marco group from the original sober sis thing, um, asked, said, come out and spend two weeks in my 
my villa in Vero Beach. And we're like, sure, we'll do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a gift. It's a, it's an incredible, incredible gift. And what what starts out friendships that start out with no bullshit. How cool is that? Like you're not feeling another woman out. Like maybe if I tell her this, she might not invite me over again. You don't have yeah. that. It's awesome. Yeah. We we are we are very lucky. Um, I'm, I yeah. was telling somebody the other day. I choose to live my life in gratitude. Yeah, um, we're very lucky. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love all of you already. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I know we have new friends. And now when we come to Northern California, what? Yes. <laughs> All right. Stay in touch, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. We're so excited you're here. Please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean. You can find us and join our tribe at Telling On Ourselves on Instagram and Facebook. Tribe out.